0: So, uh, before I could look up uh, Scripture on my smartphone, and before I could consult uh, one of about 20-so different translations of the Bible I had on my laptop, uh, there was this object that was about the big. It was called a book. Anybody remember those? Actually, come to think of it, before that, actually, Moses had his Scriptures on a tablet, but that's another story. Turn to somebody and say, what does he mean by a tablet? It was, ta- oh, I forget him. So uh, my first study Bible was really, it was about like six pounds, you know, it was, it was really intense. And one of the first things that I did was to inscribe on the inside cover the following. I didn't write my name, it didn't write my address. I wrote, I wrote this statement, I cannot afford to be discouraged. It's a price too great to pay. Cannot afford to be discouraged. It's a price too great to pay. My 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 thought was: each time as I studied the word, each time as I prepared a message, I would remind myself that discouragement really is a choice. It, it, it could happen to anyone, but it really is a choice as to how you respond to that discouragement. You you can resist it. You can war against it. You can you can fight against it as a as a temptation to to bring us down, we can stand against it. Let me, let, me, let me try to make a point about how expensive it is. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, like, in that area, uh, I worked for my dad who had a shop, and I worked for him on Saturdays, and I worked for him in summers, which gave me an opportunity to save money. And so I had this passion to, to drive, you know, I actually had a, a, a junior, what they called a junior license back in the day. I don't know if they have that anymore. I, I had a license at the age of 16 uh, that would automatically turn uh, to a full license at 17 because I took drivers there. But anyway, uh, I was just so passionate about driving. I, and my dream car was a Corvette. I wanted a Corvette so bad. There was a, a, a son of a store owner on the same block where my dad had his shop. Uh, who had this red Corvette convertible. It was, it was lustful. It was beautiful, you know? And I, and I was saving and saving saving. So by the time I was 18 years of age, <laughs> there's no way I could afford a Corvette. I mean, it was just beyond my reach, right? Uh, but I did buy a Mustang. 1966, I bought this brand-new Mustang. You, want, you want, want to make you feel bad? Do you know how much it cost me in 1966? Tax included $2,600. You know? But I subsequently found out that, that Ford, which, which makes the Mustang, stood for F-O-R-D, fix or repair daily. And I found that to be true. I was telling, I was telling Pete uh, I would find bolts on the floor of my car in the morning, you know, and, uh, but it was a hot-looking car. Right, Paul? It was, it's a great-looking car. In fact, some said it was a chick magnet. Not that I needed it, but... You know? In fact, some said that the reason why my now-wife, girlfriend, then, Kathy, went out with me was because of the Mustang. She's not shallow. I've got to tell you that. She, she's not shallow. Uh, in fact... Uh, her cousin, Joanne, who she kind of went to school with, uh, was, they were, she was at the house a few uh, months ago, and they were talking about old times. And, and Joanne brought up Kathy's old boyfriend, Johnny, from whom I stole Kathy away. And uh, she said, you know, I remember the last conversation I had with Johnny. He said about you, Kathy, it was the Mustang, wasn't it? Well, I got to tell you, Johnny, m- my wife's not shallow, number one. N- number two, uh, she had a higher standard than you, Johnny. And number three, she, you couldn't compete with this face. <laughs> Actually, not this face, but this face when it was nineteen years old looked a lot different. Anyway, uh, so I settled. I couldn't afford it. Was it was a price beyond my ability. Now I just want to say this: we would do really well if we do not settle for discouragement we would do well right now here and now if we made up our mind that discouragement is something that is just too expensive, something that we just can't afford when I, when I, when I, when I think about the issue of discouragement I, I think we all agree how detrimental it can be it's, it's, it's a slippery slope that always kind of ends badly you know um, now you might say well pastor wait a minute it, it, this is a fallen world or a broken world in which we live in. You know, I understand disappointments are going to happen. You know, uh, unfulfilled expectations always creates, you know, sadness. And, and who among us has never experienced genuine sorrow? It happens to everybody. Listen, uh, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been on the verge of, of tears and you really can't even articulate why you feel that way? Ever feel down in the dumps and and uh, have a hard time falling asleep and if you do fall asleep after a couple of hours, you wake up and then can't go back to sleep or have difficulty during the day concentrating, it may just be because of something that is causing you great discouragement. Listen, having a legitimate reason behind one 's discouragement and there are legitimate reasons is is does not change the fact that it should be something that we are absolutely adamant about resisting and, and, and conquering and overcoming. And so it's a choice that we just can't afford to pay. So, so you ask the question, well, why? Because undefeated, unresolved discouragement opens the door to a bad company of friends. You know, bad company like, like self-pity and anger and bitterness. Unconquered discouragement leads to impatience, complaining, and even unbelief. You know, And I think that when it's been a, under a prolonged period of time, it leads to apathy. And apathy is when you just don't care anymore. And if, and if you're at that place where, where you just don't care anymore, you're already defeated. We would be wise to fight against discouragement, whether it's seen or unseen. Some people respond to the pain of discouragement by self-medicating. And there are a ton of different ways in which we could numb our feelings, numb our emotions, you know, Work, throw ourselves into work, or food, or, 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 or drugs, or entertainment, or pleasure. Just, just trying to do anything to numb those emotions. The fact of the matter is, is that anybody can, can get discouraged at any particular time in their, in their season, even though they may have everything else together in their life. Now, here's a statement I want you to try to remember, and it's this. How we choose to respond. To discouragement, how we choose to respond will determine outcome. In other words, it is not inevitable. It is it is it is a choice that that we must choose to resist. So, I want to talk to you about two men today from Scripture, who had something in common. Even though they lived a thousand years apart, they had a whole lot of trouble in their life and a whole lot of gen- legitimate reasons to be discouraged. But they they implemented certain principles, spiritual principles in their life, and they were able to conquer and overcome discouragement, great discouragement, right? So I tell you what, first we'll start with, if anybody had a right to, to be discouraged, it, it would have been the Apostle Paul. If you've ever read some of the things that he went through, suffered in his lifetime and in his, in his service to Christ, you know, th- there's a list of things. It, it almost fills a half of a chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all of the different experiences Paul had that would, have, that would have clearly made Paul a subject of being a chronic discouraged person. But he overcame those principles. Listen, even though he was criticized by the people that he loved, he, even though he was falsely accused and, and he was misunderstood, he was physically tortured and imprisoned, and yet he was able to conquer discouragement. I want you to listen to five words, maybe one of the five most important words you'll hear today on this subject. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. He said this, We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We're simply saying we are not discouraged. We do not quit. We do not surrender. We do not give up. And those first three words, we do not, is an act of the will. It is, a, it is a, an attitude that when discouragement comes, losing, we will not lose heart. We will not faint. We will not give up. Now listen, he's not saying we're never tempted to be discouraged. He's not saying that we never struggle with growing weary in the battles of life. He's not saying that we never struggle with negative thoughts and negative emotions. No, we make it a matter of choice. We do not lose heart. Paul learned something that is of infinite value, but it came out of the most painful of experiences. And he, t- and he talks about that as, as though it was absolutely soul-crushing. Paul repeated the same statement, we do not lose heart, but he added one word, and, and it was the word therefore. In verse 16, he says the same thing, therefore, we do not lose heart. And I've been taught that whenever you see the word therefore, find out what's it therefore. And the therefore is like Well, imagine a list of of numbers, columns of of numbers, and and you draw that line at the end, and you you have the sum total of everything that has been said thus far. And really, this is one of the major themes of the apostle uh, as as he's writing to the Corinthians. So we we go back to the very introduction of this letter in chapter 1 and see what Paul learned out of this horrific experience that he says is soul-crushing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. He says, We think you should know about the trouble we went through in the providence of Asia, which is modern day Turkey, which is Ephesus and Laodicea and the like. He says, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought that we would never live through it. One translation says, We despaired of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. And in fact, this is the next verse. In fact, we expected to die. But, there's a but here to this story. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned, and I want to underline that word, learned. We learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. In this near-death experience, what came out of it was confidence that God is able to raise the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again, He did and he will, past, present, and we've placed our confidence in him that he will continue to rescue us. Future confidence that God will be faithful to his servant. Now, I got to say this, something really good came out of something really bad. Why? Because what God was after was allowing Paul to become so overwhelmed that he would not trust in himself. He would not rely upon himself, but that he would lean completely on God. God was stretching Paul and allowing him to come to the end of self-confidence. Why? Because, listen, Paul was a guy who who was gifted. Uh, He had natural abilities and natural gifts. He was wise and intelligent, but he also had spiritual gifts as well. And it would have been easy for Paul to rely upon his own intellect and his own, you know, just gut feelings and and, and his own uh, heart. But he came to the point of being able to completely trust in God. See, I want you to know this: that no amount of trouble, no amount of difficulty, no amount of trial that we ever go through is outside of God's sovereign lordship. And that every circumstance must submit to the overarching lordship of Christ. And so when you believe that, what what God requires of us is that we would trust him. We would trust him in the dark as well as trust him in the light. That we would trust him in the storm as well as trust him in the calm. That we would trust him even when apparently all hell is breaking loose. If you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, we often say thanks. Thank you for coming. Honestly, we counted a privilege to be able to share with you the, the gospel of jesus christ and, and can i tell you god's will for your life is so simple it it is to it is to trust his son jesus christ to the forgiveness of your sins and to trust jesus christ for the gift of eternal life the bible says that the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you can believe God for the forgiveness of sins, and if you can believe Christ for the gift of eternal life, then you can believe Him for every situation in your life. You can trust Him with your health. You can trust Him with your wealth. You can trust Him with the loved ones in your life. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. Developing a strong confidence in God as absolutely priceless. So we ask the question then, how? How? do we break the power of discouragement? Let, 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 me, let me restate, if I, if I haven't impressed you enough how important this subject is, let, 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 me, let me just say this about, about discouragement. Prolonged discouragement leads to depression. And depression has the ability to not only uh, steal the quality of your life, it's certainly not the life that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, can not only steal the quality of your life, but it could even take away the years from your life as well. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that negative emotions, negative thoughts and feelings and, 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 and all that has a profound effect upon a person's physical well-being. Now, here's the truth. We can't prevent disappointments from happening. We can't prevent loss or setbacks from taking place. But we can, we can choose how to respond when, when it comes to areas of discouragement. And if we will resist and fight back. Now, I want to come back to the Apostle Paul in, in, in just a couple of minutes. But the other person that I want to kind of transition to, uh, who also had these amazing principles that he put in practice, is King David. The, 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 what they had in common was a whole lot of trouble in their life, but a real handle on conquering discouragement. Let me share with you the story of David first. Uh, David's commission to be king. Problem is, there already was a king on the throne who was being decommissioned by the Lord because of his disobedience. Now, David didn't want to conflict with, with, with Saul, didn't want to try to force himself to sit upon the throne of Israel. His, his attitude was, God, if you want me to be the king, you want me to sit on the throne, of, that's your problem. You're going to have to make it happen. I'm not going to touch this. And so Saul, being jealous and being envious, had an arrest warrant out for, for David, had a bounty on David's head. So David wisely fled, crossed the border of Israel, and he went to a city called Ziklag, and there he set up an outpost. Now at this particular point in time, Men had gathered around, soldiers had gathered around David to support David. And there's about 600 men with their wives and their children and all of their belongings set up now in the city of Ziklag. And on a mission coming back, coming back, or should I say coming back from a mission, they see smoke billowing from the city. And they get closer and they realize the city's been sacked and set on fire. Their worst nightmare has now come to pass all of their wives and their children have been abducted all of their belongings have been carried off by marauders that have come and 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 the grief of this was so was so apparent and so strong that the scripture says about all of the men that they began to weep and they wept and they wept broken hearted until the scripture says they they had no more strength to weep but then some of the men began to talk among themselves about stoning David. As though, David, this is your fault. We're, we're, we're out here with our wives and children, and it's because of you. Maybe, maybe you're cursed of God. Maybe, may, maybe you shouldn't be rebelling against, against King Saul. And so they begin talking. Listen, can things get any worse for David? You know, uh, His own wife and children have been abducted. His own belongings have been carried away. And now the men are talking about Stoning David. Not good. What would you do if everybody turned against you? Well, let me tell you what people like, men like Paul, men like David did when all hell was breaking loose. The first thing that David did was an attitude, which is the same as Paul, we will not lose heart. He, he made a decision right there and then. I am not going to be overcome by this. And so First Samuel verse 30, first, verse 6 is the key to, to, to what David did at this point. He said, and the scripture says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Another translation says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. So the question is, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? What, what does that look like? Uh, the Steph and I were at Bobby's uh, Burger Palace uh, not too long ago, and I noticed this sign, which I thought was provocative. And believe it or not, in a burger joint, right? Uh, and, and the sign, the sign read, read this. We are defined by the promises we keep, not by the promises we make. And I thought that was provocative because it's obvious. It's a lot easier to make a promise than it is to keep a promise. How, how, many, how many marriages, how, how many relationships have crashed and burned because somebody failed to keep a promise. But when it comes to God Almighty, God is known, God's defined, if you will, God is known by both the promises he makes and by the promises he keeps. Because if God makes a promise, it is certain that it will be kept. You know, one thing is absolutely certain, even more certain than the ground I'm standing on right now or the seats you're sitting in right now is the word of God and the promises of God. You know, the Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never cease. God's word is eternal, and therefore his promises can be trusted. And that's the reality. David, no doubt, must have began to reason among himself. Listen, I've not yet ascended the throne, and if God promised that I would sit upon the throne of Israel, then stoning is not a part of my destiny. And so David began to he began he began to to think about the promises that God made. And when we begin to think about the promises, we begin to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And when we begin to remind God of God's promises, not because God's forgetful, not because God needs to be reminded, but something dynamic happens on our on the inside of us when we put God in remembrance of his promises and of his word. We strengthen ourselves. I've said this for years, that the best sermon, the best message you will ever hear is the one you preach to your own soul, especially when all hell has broken loose. And you speak that back to your own heart. This is what David did in Psalm 42, verse 6. Look at it. He says, when I am discouraged, I will remember you. When I am discouraged, I will remember you. I, w- I will remember your past faithfulness. I will remember your, your, your covenant promises. I will remember, God, your great faithfulness. And so David said, I will remember you. I, I was thinking about the song driving over this morning. I haven't sung it in a long time. I met Redmond's song. Uh, and and Matt Redmond said, when my heart is dry uh, and there's no... There's no song within no words of love no song of melody it Says, i will remember you and i will turn back and do the things i used to do remembering god in the midst of your trouble is one of the the ways of pulling yourself up out of the pit and then look at verse 4 uh, verse 11 in the same psalm. david now speaks to himself he says why so downcast oh my soul it's like he's asking himself the question Why are you discouraged? Put your hope in God. He speaks to himself and then he directs himself to place his hope in God. This is what Charles Spurgeon wrote about. It's great. He says, the psalmist talks to himself. His faith reasons with his fears. His hope argues with his sorrows as David coaches David out of the dumps. Folks, when we find ourselves discouraged, we need to coach ourselves out of the dumps. And so David reminds himself of God and he speaks to his own heart. He, he turns to the to the cure rather than the disease. He looks away from 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 his present realities to to away from his troubles to, to the heart of God. And he remembers past victories. I mean, isn't that what he did when he was like 17, 16 years of age? When he faced Goliath, He remembered that God rescued him from the lion and the bear and said, this giant will be just like one of those. So put your hope in God because hoping in God triumphs over discouragement. We all have, I I think, uh, uh, as we're in Christ, we, we all have life verses that mean so much to us. And Psalm 27 means so much to me. It's been my life verse that I've looked at many, many times in the past. In verse 13, Psalm 27 says this, I would have lost heart. I would have been discouraged. Just like Paul said, we will not lose heart. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Faith in God's goodness will keep us from losing heart. And then he said, verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, which is the opposite of discouragement. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, and Lord, where does the strength come from? Not from pulling yourself up, but rather that strength comes from the Lord. Waiting on God. See, this waiting on God is not passive, just kind of hanging out twiddling your thumb. No, no, this, this waiting on God is aggressive. It is, it is putting yourself in remembrance of all that God has done, his faithfulness, his covenant promises. Now, I, don't, I want to move away from David for a minute and go back to Paul before we close, but I don't want to leave you on a cliffhanger, okay? Because David so strengthens himself, so increases his confidence that what he does is he pursues the Marauders He he overtakes them, and he rescues every child, every wife, and he gets back not only that which was stolen from him, but he spoils the enemy so that we see this pattern in in life about the Word of God, that, that God works all things together for our good. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned around and enlarged David because of it. So let's talk about Paul for a few minutes. How did Paul strengthen himself when all hell was breaking loose, when he was being tortured or when he was being put in prison? By fighting for every single thought. You know, there's an old saying that goes, you you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair, right? We are responsible for every word, every thought that we think and every word that we allow into our minds. We're responsible for that. And so by fighting for every thought, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of the mind of Christ, that's what Paul says in this letter in chapter, in chapter 12. He says, he says, our warfare is not with ordinary weapons, but our warfare is with spiritual weapons bringing every thought captive to the obedience of the mind of Christ. In other words, we have the ability to to guard and guide the direction of our thought life. Every discouraging emotion, negative impulse, every hopeless thought, we're to be cast out and we're to think on things that are good. Paul exhorted and and just admonished the, the church at Philippi, He says, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is pure, what is good, what is lovely. And all of that really describes God and God's word. He says, and when you do that, then then the God of peace shall be with you. Sounds like we have a choice, right? Paul is saying, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And, and then this inexplicable peace has the ability to do something. He says it will guard, keep your mind and your heart through Christ Jesus. That's what David did. That's what Paul did when all hell was breaking loose. How we choose to respond determines the outcome. So for the next few minutes, let me, let me just share something I think is the most comforting of all. See, I could... I could be inspired by by someone like Paul. And I could use the principles that David put into practice. But we have a Savior who loves us, who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, who is committed to us, who is touched with the feelings of our weakness, who is sympathetic toward us when we find ourselves in the throes of discouragement why because he's been where we live now and he knows and he understands and he's empathetic but but even more than that see see what 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 Paul can't do for me I don't pray to Paul and what what David can't do for me because I don't pray to David I do pray to Jesus and Jesus has the ability to infuse strength into our lives this is what Paul discovered in second Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says that when I am weak, then the power of Christ can rest upon me. When I confess my weakness and I look to God, his grace becomes sufficient for us. Listen, there had to be times in the life of Jesus when he was at the very least disappointed, right? He was tempted with discouragement, yet he never yielded to it. Listen, it it had to be difficult his mission, becoming the savior of the world, no small task. His, his family members thought that he was beside himself and delusional. They tried to restrain him. People didn't understand his, his mission or his purpose. And uh, even his own disciples, even though they were with him for three years, many times Jesus had to go, Hi, hey, I you know, you guys just don't get it, you know? Uh, and that had to be frustrating for Jesus. But I tell you what. In the Gospels, we have the acts of Jesus. But in the book of Isaiah, we have the thoughts of Jesus. And many of those scriptures that are prophetic, that were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, were spoken about the nature of the Messiah and what the Messiah would think and how the Messiah would would, would behave. And Isaiah 49 verse 4 is, is, I believe, the key to, to understanding that what David did, to encourage himself and strengthen himself, and what Paul did to encourage himself and strengthen himself. Likewise, the man Christ Jesus strengthened himself in the Lord. And here's my evidence. He says, in verse 4, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. If that doesn't spell out disappointment and at the least frustration, then I I don't know what does. But I want you to look at the next line. For the next line says yet. There's a but here. Yet my reward is with my God and my God will be my strength. Now, I don't know if I could prove this to you, but I think probably, probably the time that Jesus probably felt that the most, felt like my labor's been in vain and I've spent my strength for nothing, may have been in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was arrested and He sees His disciples scatter and He hears Peter deny Him and He knows that Judas has kissed Him with a kiss of betrayal. What must Jesus have experienced at that time when when every available demon was probably surrounding Him, taunting Him, tempting Him with great discouragement? Yet what does He say here? Yet my reward is with my God My God will be my strength. What Jesus did was he looked away from present trouble and he looked to his heavenly father. He he looked to that which was good and excellent and pure and lovely. And he believed that God would reward him for his faithfulness. In fact, Isaiah 53 says, because he's poured out his soul unto death, therefore I will honor him. Jesus got his eye on the prize. To make you and I his own by choosing to refuse to be discouraged. And this this really is so important that Jesus himself can strengthen us. You know, in in the book of Acts, it says that, that, that when Paul felt like absolutely fearful and frightened, he says, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Second, uh, Timothy chapter four, but also in the book of Acts, the Lord visited him. And you know what? God can visit with us. Jesus can come and infuse us by his spirit with strength. So maybe, maybe you're here today, and maybe it's time for you to coach yourself out of the dumps. Maybe it's time for you to remember God, for, for, for you to say, I will remember you. I will remember your past faithfulness. I will remember the times that you rescued me. And that you will do it again. Trust in God to strengthen your heart. Because trusting, hoping, and believing in the goodness of God overcomes discouragement. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God's will for you is that you would trust in his son who endured temptation and suffered as a convicted felon so that We would have forgiveness of sins. He stood in our place as the sinner so that we might now stand in his place as the righteous, the just for the unjust. And if you can trust the Son of God to forgive you of your sins and to give you the gift of eternal life, then I got to tell you this, then you can trust him with your health. You can trust him with your loved ones. You know, that Corvette I mentioned in the beginning was way beyond... My affordability was a price too great for me to pay, but that is nothing compared to the price that Jesus Christ paid to ransom us from eternal death and to give us eternal life. If you'd like, to, uh, if you'd like, if you'd like Jesus to be your Savior today, can I just invite you to pray something like this? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I believe you are the Savior of the world, but I also now believe that you're my Savior. And I pray, Jesus, that you will come into my life, be the Lord of my life. Folks, those aren't magic words. Those are just, those are just the opening conversation into having a, a life relationship with Jesus Christ. But I also want to pray for those of you who may be feeling downcast, maybe feeling a little discouraged, So, let's just pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the Word of God that is able to build us up and to give us an inheritance. And I remember, Father, that the Scripture says that we both through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. That they come to us through faith. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So I pray today that, Father, our faith in you has been made confident and that our confidence is that God you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think so I just pray Lord God for a release now of strength let there be company with healing for those that need healing Jesus heal our hearts heal our bodies Jesus heal our emotions today Come to us, Lord Jesus. Infuse us with the strength that I've talked about today so that we could say like Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. 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 Thank you so much.